All right, here we go. <laughs> Good morning. <coughs> and, and happy Mother's Day. To the mothers. Or to, to, to the mamas, as I would say. I got to call my mama later. But uh, I'm excited to be here. I, this has been a, a hard week for me and, 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 and studying this and handling this. I think I've talked to more people this week than I have about any message. Uh, I've been texting people, or my wife actually been texting people that I don't want to text and asking about this, and this is what I'm thinking, is this right? And it's just been a struggle. And even though I think God is, is good, He is gracious, uh, we were laying there last night, Nidia had fallen asleep, I was still studying. It was about 12.45, and I just started, I said, Nidia, Nidia, wake up, Nidia, this, I, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and she's like, what, what? And I'm like, I'm like I get it. And I, and I told her, she's like, oh, that's good, that's good. I'm like, no, no, you get it? I, I get it. And she's like, oh, it's good, it's good. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> so I want to be excited about it. And I want us to be excited about God's Word. And that we get the chance to hear from the Lord. We get the chance to listen to what He has to say for us. And, and that's just a crazy, crazy thought that God would speak to us, that God would give us this, and that we have this. And so as we've talked about the book of James, I've told you guys over and over, this letter is about what? It's about faith. It's a faith that is a result of the word. That God has chosen us, He's planted this seed in our hearts. And it's a faith that's based on the Word. As we believe the Word of God, as we believe the Gospel, then we respond, we live our lives based on that, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how we feel. Because I believe that this is the Word of God, this is what He tells me to do, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust Him. Because He says it's for my benefit and it's for His glory. And then this faith in the Word, it leads us to be doers of the Word. They were to be these literally producers. We're not just to hear the Word, but faith leads us to produce. And this faith produces works that are according to the Word. Belief in the Gospel is always connected with works that are motivated by the Gospel and that model the Gospel. So our faith as James has been saying over and over again, is dependent on the Word of God. We have faith because we have the Word of God. This is how life is lived. And this is what James is saying. If you believe this, this is what your life is going to look like. If you believe this, this is how you're going to live. So I want to read verse 1 through 4 of chapter 3 with that in mind. In verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
muy pequeño por donde la voluntad del piloto quiere. And my concern this morning is that we see this passage, and we've read this passage, we've heard this passage, and we've already decided what this passage means. And I had to decide where am I going to start, or when I start with verse 1, where am I going to end? Where, do, where does this thought complete itself? What do I want to speak? What is God asking me to say to you? And I want you to let go of what you thought before. I want you to let go that this is all about the tongue. I want you to ignore where it says at the top of your, in your Bible, taming the tongue. It starts in verse 1. Okay? That's not inspired. It's not part of the original manuscript. Okay? And I just want you to let that go. So today we are not going to focus on the tongue. Even though it says it in the heading on your Bible. And as you study this and you look at even different translations, it's, nobody knows where to, where to stop. Nobody knows where to put the next paragraph. Sometimes it's at the end of verse 4, sometimes it's in the middle of verse 5, sometimes at the end of verse 5. Like just, it's, it's really unclear sometimes, like, what is James saying here and how does this uh, continue on? What's the flow of his thought? But the one thing I saw that it's clear is the one imperative he gives us in verse 1 is that not many of us should become teachers. That's what he tells us. That's what's clear. That's what's straightforward. And there's not another imperative. There's not another command until verse 13. Everything else is in explaining or for or therefore and explaining later as he goes into the tongue. But today we're not going to focus on the tongue. We'll get to the tongue next week when I feel like James gets to the tongue. But for now we're going to focus on this teaching and what it is that we're teaching, what it is that's driving us, what it is that controls us. So I want to talk about the context of this congregation because I think sometimes we misread this. They didn't have a written word. They didn't have the New Testament. The book of James was probably the first book written as James was writing this letter to them. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have multiple copies. There wasn't three copies on their shelf, one in the woman's version, one in the children's version, one in the study version. They probably had a couple of copies within the community, and they would actually have to come together to hear this word read. And they'd have to come together to hear these teachers that would come and go, that would come in these different towns in this region, teach about the gospel, teach about Jesus, teach about how he's fulfilled this Old Testament. And as you think about that, that they didn't have a written word to reference. They couldn't go back and look at the word and make sure what this teacher was telling them was accurate according to the word. And so you can understand why as we look in the New Testament, all these concerns about false teachers, all these concerns about holding on to sound doctrine, and it makes a lot more sense. We realize they were probably illiterate, most of them, and they didn't have their own copies. They had to rely on what others told them about the gospel, what others told them about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then also in these early assemblies when Christians would come together, it wasn't typically that one, one person would teach and everyone else would sit and be quiet. Typically one person would lead it, one person would be responsible for that, but the congregation would interact. They would, they would converse back and forth. They would share their thoughts. They would give their commentary in a sense on what the teacher was teaching and understanding the word of God. And this also reflected their Jewish synagogues. In the Jewish synagogue, more people could speak, more people could talk, they could share and read from the Word, from the Old Testament. So with that in mind, let's look at verse 1. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, 
my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I don't think James here is trying to discourage people if they feel called to teach, not to teach. He's not saying we don't need teachers, I don't want teachers. He's just trying to get them to understand the responsibility the burden that goes along with teaching. If you're going to teach, if you're going to speak the Word of God, if you're going to share the Word of God, then you're going to bear an extraordinary burden. He says teachers will be judged more strictly. But I thought about basketball. At Lanark, in the gym. When we first started coaching, or when we moved here, and the first thing I did was start coaching at the rec center. And Oran was six, he's in the five and six-year-olds. And they didn't enforce the rules very often. The kids didn't have to stand behind the line when they passed it in. They didn't have to, if they took a few steps, it was okay, just as long as they didn't run the entire length of the court with a basketball. They didn't make them dribble every time. When they stepped over the free throw line, when they shot free throws, it was okay. It wasn't that strict. But then even with those five and six-year-olds, as they progressed through the season, and they got towards the end of the season, they started calling a few more things, a few more things that was, it was stricter, it was closer to the rules, it was closer to what was expected of them. And then even this last year at Coaching Karina at 10, they start calling everything. And you get beyond that, you get into middle school, you get into high school, they're going to call the game to a strict measure as it was meant to be called. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying, if you're going to teach the Word, you're in a position and a function and a role where there is more required of you. You're not a five and six year old playing basketball for the first time. You're at a different level, and we're going to call the game as the game was meant to be called. I'm going to hold you according to what I spoke in this word. It's not what you think, it's what I'm saying. And I need you to understand that, I need you to teach it accordingly. So James says, teachers are going to be judged according to their calling. And if we have an increased position of influence, then you're going to have increased responsibility, and you're going to be judged to a stricter measure. And so as I started studying through this, you can tell this is why I began to have a hard time. This is not something that I've been doing. I haven't been in this role or this function for very long. And I'm thinking, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Like, what am I doing? And the more I speak, the more I handle God's Word, the more Sundays that I sit up here, the more interactions that I have with each of you in your life, and I share the Word of God with you, and I speak it into your life, the stricter judgment I'm going to have. And that began to overwhelm me. I'm like, oh, I've got to get this right. I've got to get this right this week. I've got to make sure I say it correctly. I've got to make sure it's exact. I gotta, oh, God, what are you asking me to tell them this week? Lord, I don't want to mishandle this. I don't want to misspeak. I don't want to misrepresent you. And I realized as I, I thought about the last six months as I've been teaching regularly, that I have felt a, a bigger burden in my life this last six months than I've ever felt. That I can feel the weight of what this is saying. I've had, I've got, I've had jobs, I've had big jobs, it doesn't compare to the burden. I've had a wife, a wonderful Mexican wife, the burden is not the same. I've had four children. <laughs> That was actually a chance to know. 
Gina, did she say everything okay? Okay. <laughs> I'm still okay. Keep going. <laughs> Jobs, my wife. I have four kids. And I've never felt the same burden as I felt as I've tried to handle God's word, as I've tried to study God's word, as I've tried to speak it to you guys, to teach it to you guys. And the one thing it's done over that time is it's caused me to pray. It's caused me on a weekly basis, I break down on a weekly basis, I get to the end of myself on a weekly basis and say, God, I have no idea. Like, God, would you please speak to me so I can share this? What do you have for me? And I have read and, and studied the word and I've seen in Acts 6, 4 when the disciples are together and the church is first starting and they're talking about, hey, you know what? I don't know that we can take care of the food that's being distributed to the widows. Like, we need to focus on the ministry of the word and on prayer. And we're going to elect these men to go and distribute the food and you're going to take care of those needs in the body. But but I'm going to focus on, pre- on, on preaching the word and on prayer. And I see that and I know that and I believe that with my head. But as I've gone through these last six months, now I believe that with my heart. Because I want to be involved in everything. I want to be here when John's getting the tables to put the computers on them. I want to help them set up. I want to connect the network. I want to do whatever it is that I can be doing. And God is trying to tell me to sit still. God is trying to tell me, let the body be the body let the members of the body do the, the work that they're supposed to do this is what I have for you right now this is what I've called you to right now this is the function that you have sit still, pray and, and study my word and that's hard for me because I want to maximize my capacity I would say thank you God but I'm going to do everything I can do but God's not asking me to extend myself to my capacity. He's asking me to follow my calling. And right now, as a part of Living Stones, the best thing that I can do for you guys is to be spending time in this Word and be preparing to teach for you and to be praying for you, to be praying that God would show us what He has for us, that He would direct our church by this Word, that He would change lives by this Word, that that's what He's asking me to focus on. And so it's hard for me because I'm a doer. But I need you guys to help me. I need you guys to step up. I need you guys to do those things. I need you guys to, when you see me doing sometimes the things that I shouldn't be doing, tell me, stop. Please speak in my life. Please tell me that. It's the way that I can serve you best. It's the way that I can love God best. And it's the way that we as a body can be the body. So I have to pray more. That God would raise up amongst us others that can teach. Others that have a desire for the word and others that want to teach. That God is called to teach. And even as we talked about last week, as I talked about leaders and that we're a young church and as, as God is developing leadership amongst us, that one of the offices of that, of overseeing that, would be an elder. And one of the, the main distinction, really the only distinction between leadership in the church, between deacons and between elders, is this ability to teach. And so we have to pray that God would raise up those that can teach among us. Those that God, God would raise up that can, that can speak the word of God to the body. That can speak the word of God into each of our lives. And that can oversee 
this body that can make sure that we're following according to God's word. So that's for me. And you guys are probably thinking, well, I'm glad I'm not a teacher. I'm glad I'm not called to teach. I'm just going to sit here and this chair is feeling even more comfortable now. And so before you dismiss the idea that you are not a teacher, I'd like to sort of show you how you are a teacher. Let's think about our context. James's audience had limited access to the word. They had to listen to others. They had to sit at the feet of other people. They had to hear what other teachers were teaching about the word and then put it in action in their life. But we, each of you, have the word of God. Each of you have this at home. You have multiple copies, multiple versions. You have access on the web. You have it on your phone. There's so many ways that you have access to the word. It's everywhere. And think about James' designs. They had to go to this place to listen to these other people, teach the word, to hear the word. The only way that they could hear the word, they could listen to the word, was to go somewhere to gather together. But the word has never been easy to access than it is right now. There's never been a generation that has more access to the word and more access to study it, more tools to research it, than we have right now. Ever. So we're a church of disciples. We're not a church of small groups. We're not a church of events. We're not a church of programs. We're a church of disciples. And what are disciples to do? We're to make more disciples. We're to baptize them. And then we're to do what? We're to teach. We're to teach and obey all that he's commanded. And I've told you guys before, as we started discipleship, I don't really want you to share your opinion. When you're meeting with someone else, when you're doing life with someone else, when you're speaking to their life, I mean, really, your opinions are not very helpful. That we would share the Word of God. That we would help each other to have a biblical perspective, an eternal perspective. And we agree that true disciples of Jesus Christ, if you're a disciple, then you are either making or you're preparing to make other disciples. Disciples of Jesus Christ make other disciples. None of us get off the hook. None of us get to take a pass. None of us get to sit out. When you said, I'm going to follow Christ, this is what you signed up for. So does that make sense? Do you understand the responsibility to teach, the responsibility to handle the Word of God, the responsibility to speak into each other's lives with the Word of God if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you're following Him, if He saved you, then you have this responsibility. You too have the responsibility to teach. So now you're going to be judged by a stricter measure too. It may not be as strict, but it's going to be strict. You have full access, full availability. You have no excuse not to study and understand the Word. And as I thought about teaching, what's the one thing that we would have to do if we were going to teach this Word, if we were going to teach this Word to each other? We have to study it. We have to be in it. We must study it. And so that's what I want to ask you this morning. Is do you study the Word of God? Do you delight in it? 
when you think about your time, when you think about your day, what you do every day, does it include the Word of God? Or do you open ESPN.com more than you open the Scriptures? Do you know what's going on in the world more than you understand what was going on in the New Testament? And some of you might be thinking, well, no, no, Britt, Britt. Let me, let me tell you about my day. And I get up early and I pray and I have this book, this devotional book that I read that tells me a few scriptures from the Bible. And then uh, somewhere in there I fit in a podcast and, and I'm listening to a Christian radio. And then at 11.30 every day I receive the scripture of the day on my phone. Like, you know, I'm just immersed in the word. It's always coming in. I'm just always considering it. And I want to be careful what I say. But honestly, I don't know how beneficial that is. When you say, well, I'm saturated in the word. Well, it's like we're saturated an inch deep. Yeah, you might be experienced. You might be coming across it. You might be considerate. But it's this deep in your life. It's this deep in your mind. It's this deep in your heart. And I don't think that that's going to transform you. To be a better teacher... And I've seen this, I've realized this as I've studied, you have to wrestle with the Word. You have to study the Word. You have to read it and consider it and meditate on it, study it, look at other resources so you can better understand it. But you have to be in it. You have to go up again and again and again. And when you're in school, it's, it's good to go to class. It's good to hear the lectures. It's even good to do the assignments. But if you have a test coming, if you're going to be judged strictly, then what do we do? We study. Most of us study, right? You know that if you've got a test, the one thing I better do is study. And I was thinking about that, but it's not necessarily always true. Sometimes we can make it through without studying. And as I thought about uh, in my life and the people that I've seen be able to not study and somehow things work out for them, the first person that came to mind was Emmanuel. And I say that with love. <laughs> But when he was at the University of Texas, he was notorious for finding a way to be at the gym and playing basketball. He lived with us the first, his first couple years. He was always, he was in our apartment or he was coming and going. And somehow, he wouldn't be studying. Somehow, sometimes he wouldn't go to class. He'd find a way to play basketball. He'd find a way to do these other things. And at the end of the semester, somehow he would find a way, and sometimes it required a direct intervention with a professor, but he'd find a way where he'd pass the class. Like it, it was an amazing ability, this gift that he had, where somehow he didn't have to study, he didn't have to prepare, and everything would work out for him. But then I saw a change in him. He was living in Chicago, and he met this young lady named Melanie. And when he decided that this was the woman for him, when he decided this was who he wanted to marry, I saw his actions change. When he decided, I'm going to propose to her. And this is going to be the last time that I propose to any woman. Because this is the woman for me. He got serious about it. 
We were going on a trip from Chicago to Texas. It was a family trip. It was for New Year's. And, and Melanie went along with us. Melanie hadn't met the family. It was her first trip with the family. It was a scary thing in and of itself. It was a test for her, I think. But Emmanuel made plans. Emmanuel talked to other people. Emmanuel considered how it was that he was going to do this. And we left from Houston to go to Austin on the way back home. And we were spending a few days in Austin, which is where the University of Texas is, where Emmanuel had spent four years in school. And we get up there, and we're staying with Nidia's sister, and Emmanuel has this entire day planned for Melanie. He takes her to all these places that were most special to him when he was there at school. And most of that revolves around food. And he would take her to one restaurant so they could have an appetizer, another restaurant to have a drink, the next restaurant to have the main, the entree, and then another restaurant to have dessert. He took her to all these places on campus, including the gym. I know he showed her the gym. But then waiting for her at the end of the day, he had instructed us, he had to communicate to us. He said, this is what I want you to do. And there was this place called Mount Bunnell. Keith and Leslie, I know you know about Mount Bunnell, and it's this place, this high place in Austin where you're sitting there, you can oversee the river, and you can see the entire city. And he had sent us there, and he had made poster boards, and he had written messages on this poster board as you have to walk up these steps for like a quarter mile to get to the top. It's all these stone steps. And one message after another, the sentence that kept on going, what he wanted to say to her as she was walking up with him. And they get to the top, and they go to this place, and he spreads out a blanket, and he proposes to her. And we're all waiting in the background, waiting in the woods. And at the same time, he's prepared a mariachi band. And you've never seen anything until you've seen five overweight mariachi guys have to climb up with their instruments for a quarter mile. And they were huffing and puffing. But when they come and, and, and Emmanuel has just proposed to Melanie, they're walking back, coming to this lookout, and here stands the mariachi band. They began, began to serenade, and they play for her for an hour, and we all get to sit around them and join them, and they're just playing to Melanie. And then he had dinner planned after that. This is where we're going to go. Now we're all going to be together. Now we're going to celebrate this, and this is where we're going to eat. After we go to eat, this is where we're going to go for dessert. This, he had the whole thing planned. He studied. He prepared. He considered every part and every detail. He gave it his full attention. I'd never seen him like that before. And I asked myself, why? What was different? Why did he act like that? And he did that because he was in love. He was in love with this girl and he was going to show it. And he did everything he had to do to demonstrate that. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be in love with His Word. And if we were truly in love with His Word, like Emmanuel was in love with Melanie, we would study it. We would read it. We would, we would go back to it. We would consider it over and over again. And so I want to read this passage in Psalm 119. Verse 9 through 16. Because I think we... We go about our day and honestly, I don't, I don't have a love for God's Word on a regular basis. And I want God to grow this love for me. I want God to grow this love for us. Psalm 119.9. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. 
Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up my word in my, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the ways of your testimony I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. We have to be in love with God. We have to be in love with his word. We have to desire it like that. That that would be the way that we would each respond when we get to say something about God's word that we might say what David said here. And that's what I want for living stones. That we would be passionate about the love, uh, about God's word. And because of that, we would study it. And as we study it, as we seek after it, then God will raise up teachers amongst us. He'll allow us to be teachers in each other's lives. So all that for the first verse. I promise I'll speed up. <laughs> but that's just really what God was laying on my heart and some things that I wanted to share and make sure that I didn't allow that, that chance or that opportunity to pass. So in verse 2 he says, he's just said we shouldn't all become teachers. In verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Everyone sins. Everyone messes up. We're very efficient at it. But if anyone does not stumble in what he says, literally in his word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And what this is not saying is that if we bridle our tongue, we'll control our whole body. James hasn't mentioned the tongue. He hasn't talked about the tongue yet. But as I read that, I automatically begin to think, because I know what's coming after it, he's talking about the tongue. We don't focus on the tongue as a way to control the rest of the body. James says later in verse 8, he says, no human being can tame the tongue. We of ourselves cannot control what we say. And I think it's... it's it's pointless for us to put all of our focus on the tongue, on what we say, and trying to conform that and trying to control that when there's something else that controls the tongue. It's out of the heart that the, that the tongue speaks. That our tongue, what we say, it's a reflection, it's a barometer of our heart. And so as we read this, I don't want you to, to misunderstand that we're supposed to bridle our tongue. James is saying we need to bridle our hearts. And the only thing that can bridle our hearts is the Word of God. It's the only thing that can transform our hearts. It's the only thing that can change us. It's the only thing that would allow us not to stumble over and over again. Is to allow the Word of God, to study the Word of God, to be in the Word of God, and it would change and transform our hearts. And as a result of that, our tongues would say nice things too. But I know that I focus on conforming my tongue 
I've told you guys before, you know, if you don't feel it, fake it. And that's not good advice. I've tried to, 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 to watch what I say and keep a check on what I say and I've ignored my heart. And I think James will show this later, but I just wanted to point that out right now. Because as we read that in our understanding and our, our preconceptions is that James is still talking about the tongue. I know I told you he's not talking about the tongue, but you've already started as we read this next passage. Oh yeah, about the tongue. It's just where our minds go. And so to enforce this, James says that it will bridle, the word of God will bridle our entire body and direct, direct our entire lives. And then he gives illustrations of this. So look at verse 3. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So the common outcome in both these illustrations, the whole body, just like James mentioned in verse 2, but now seen in this example of the horse and the ship, the whole body of the horse, the whole body of the ship is guided by something outside of itself. The whole body of the horse is directed by a bit, while the whole body of the ship is directed by a rudder. And I've struggled through this because I think about a bit and I think about the tongue. A bit goes into a horse's mouth, but a bit and a bridle and the reins are not meant to control the horse's tongue. It's not meant to control the horse's mouth. It's meant to control what they call the pole. And I know y'all would probably trust me that I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about horses because I'm from Georgia. But I did have to do some research on this. But I knew God. this is what God wanted me to talk about because as I was researching it, where I found out my information was from this fine institution called the University of Georgia where I just happened to go to school. And it was in the Department of Agriculture and in Veterinary Medicine, and it has this entire list. If you want to know anything about bits, you can find it there. And so I want to explain what this pole is. The pole on a horse is this bony prominence at the top of the horse's head. It's slightly behind the ears of the horse, and it shows it's where the spine and the skull come together. So where the horse's skull attaches to the spine at the first vertebrae, the highest point on his head. But if you put a bit in a horse's mouth and you have a bridle, you're not trying to control the tongue, you're not trying to control, control the mouth, you're trying to control his head, the pole. And the most effective thing to guide a horse, the most effective thing to direct a horse, is pull pressure. And when you pull in the bit, when you pull in the range, you're actually putting pressure on this point in the horse between his vertebrae and between his skull. And that pressure is the thing that the horse is the most responsive to. When you pull on the reins and you tug at the bit, it's not about the mouth, it's about what it's doing back here at his skull and his neck. And for you to operate a horse, for you to direct a horse and to guide a horse, you need to get the horse's head down. 
And so you put pressure on that. The bridle puts pressure on this point. And when his head is down, the horse is ready to do the work that he needs to do. When his head is down, the horse can perform. This is a desired response. So the focus of a bit is not on the tongue or even the mouth, but getting the horse's head in a position where the rider can control him. And now let's think about the rudder. It says, despite these strong winds on the surface, despite being pushed in different directions, the small rudder that's outside the boat that the pilot is adjusting, it can direct the whole ship wherever it wants to go. And when you think about a rudder, just a slight adjustment with a rudder, over time, if you're off by just a little bit, you can be extremely off. You can go in a wrong direction. And if you think about a rudder, a rudder is only useful, is only beneficial for a ship that's moving, for a ship that is active, a ship that's in the harbor, that's anchored down, that's it's not going anywhere, it doesn't need a rudder, it doesn't need directed. And so as we think through these ideas of, of a horse and a bridle, to be under the control, to be broken in a sense, to be in this position of usefulness, as we think about a rudder that would guide and direct our lives. And as James is talking about teachers, and he's talking about how they're to study the word and how they're to speak the word appropriately and perfectly. I can't see that anything that he's talking about here is that how the word of God is to bridle our lives, how the word of God is to bring us into this position where we're humble before God and we're to be used as he wants to use us, where it should guide and direct our lives. It should be outside of us, it's, it, but it's, it's steering us where we need to go. So the tongue does not control the direction of the whole body. But again, whoever or whatever controls what we say is controlling the direction of the body. So what's controlling your life? What's directing your life? What has a rein on your life? How are you responding? The Word of God is the only thing that can bridle and it's the only thing that can direct our lives. If we don't study the Word of God, if we don't submit to it, our lives, our actions will be out of control and off course. We have to study the Word of God. We have to submit to the Word of God. If we do that in each of our lives, and if we do that as a church, as a body, then God will transform our hearts. Our tongues will follow. We'll look at that next week, but we have to first focus on the heart. And with a transformed heart, He's going to transform our body. With a transformed body, He's going to transform this neighborhood. And so before we went into the tongue, I wanted to consider what's below that, what's beneath that, what's the foundation of that. For teachers, those are going to speak to many, and then for teachers amongst us as we interact with each other's life, the first thing is we have to be bridled by the Word of God. We have to be studying the Word of God. We have to be under the control of the Word of God. Let's pray. Father God, I... I pray that you would somehow take my words 
Lord, even as I have struggled with this, I feel that I've even struggled in communicating this. And Lord, I pray that you would clear that. Lord, that you would make your word clear. Lord, that we have an immeasurable responsibility because we have your word. If we claim to follow you, Father, then we have the responsibility to teach others. Lord, I pray that we would take that responsibility heavily, Father. We would understand the weight, the burden, the strict judgment that will come. You've given us full access to your word, Father. Lord, all we have to do is study it. All we have to do is love it, Lord. Create in us a love for your word that we might devour it, that we might desire it, that we might study it, that we might consider it, Father. Or that we wouldn't just go an inch deep, that we would dig into it, Father. And that it would transform our hearts, Father. And as we dig into it, realizing that it is the only thing that can control our entire body. It is the only thing that can direct our lives, that can guide our lives, Father. Lord, I pray that you would control my life. I pray that you would control each of our lives. I pray that you would control this body by your word. Lord, that we would go on the path that you have for us. Lord, that we would not fight, that we would not resist its control, that we would not try and go on our own path. Lord, teach us your statutes so that we might obey them. Lord, may we hide them in our hearts. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us enough to speak to us and to make clear to us what you require. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name. Amen.